Welcome to the Tokenomics DAO podcast, where we explore everything tokenomics related, ranging from deep dives on the tokenomics of the newest protocol to demystifying the nuance of building a successful token ecosystem. Our goal is to bring awareness to the importance of tokenomics and the crucial role it plays in defining the success of a protocol, helping make tokenomics relevant for everyone, builders and investors alike. I'm your host, Flo, joined by my co-hosts, Jason and or Lovis. Welcome to the podcast. In today's episode of Tokenomics Style Podcast, we're talking about if a token that is backed can be decentralized. And we're having a wide ranging discussion about um, trust and transparency. We're briefly touching on the Terra Luna uh, bank run. Um, we're distilling it down to that investor confidence is really at the heart of any um, transaction system. And so we're looking at that on many different levels, consumer level, um, even briefly venturing into uh, articles written by McKinsey, um, which was more of an accident, to be fair. Um, we're discussing um, uh, uh, systems that could be used by nation states um, to settle their trade balances. Um, and we're uh, ending on a couple of beautiful metaphors that involve towers and tigers. Um, so hopefully you enjoy this discussion today and uh, subscribe and listen next time. In today's episode, I guess we, we recently had this um, conversation. I don't know where it came from, right? Oh, I think you sent me an article, Jay, on Russia may allow crypto mining and gold-backed stablecoins. And it yeah. talked about decentralization in some way. And then I kind of said, well, uh, yeah, if it's backed by something physical that exists in the real world, it can't really be decentralized. Or, yeah, it will be difficult. I at least can't really imagine it. I mean, if there's gold in a vault somewhere, then the government can still go and seize it unless you have that vault in or a representation of that vault in every country. Mm. So it's not really this whole truly decentralized. Yeah, I guess it will be hard. So it's probably more of a philosophical conversation today, but I think that'd be interesting to get into, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then basically you then... Uh you summarize the the issue or, or reduce the issue to something what, what do you say uh, the question was uh, can something be backed and yet be decentralized right yeah yeah and, yeah and like and like what what would he what would it be backed by right and 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 to give the the question some relevance for today where it's it's of interest to us, not only just us, but I guess to nearly every actor in the economy, right? To to know, um, like I think everyone likes things to be decentralized, but then with decentralization comes issues with safety or efficiency or or, or things like that, right? So then the question then goes, okay, we'll trust one guy to be the arbiter of what's right and wrong because that way he's the referee he's the umpire he's the third party that everyone trusts and then um everything becomes more efficient and effective right less friction 
You don't have to always go and prove something during a transaction because a third party has already done that for you. Um, and then right now, the issue we're facing is what happens when that trusted party can't be trusted? Like if everybody's got the money in a bank and everybody has an account at the same bank, what happens if this bank goes bankrupt? Right? Or what happens if this bank says, sorry, if you're Russian, we, you can't, you can't, we can't deal with you or if you're Chinese or if you're Iranian or if you're Canadian. Canadian, if you drive a truck, right? Um, so then, 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 then the, the scale then goes, ah, oh, shit, maybe we're too centralized now. Maybe we need a bit of decentralization to afford us that, that safety, that off-ramp, that exit, right? And uh, I guess that's some general context as to why this question was interesting for us and why we're thinking about it. And I'm sure we're not, I'm sure it's like super high up on many people's minds at the moment. Yeah. yeah, especially since, I guess, this whole Terra Luna thing collapsed, um, which claimed to be decentralized. And I guess it was quite decentralized, but it just wasn't backed. So even though they, they tried um, in buying up like Bitcoin reserves to defend the peg, um, that was only fractional. And I guess with all fractional banking, if there's no reserve or no central authority that can then insert an unlimited amount of liquidity, uh, you'll have issues, right? Yeah. So then, I mean, like a bank round can just, yeah, you know, kill the whole system, and that's what it does. What it did. But fundamentally, it's about confidence, right? The, um, I mean, same with the Terra Luna thing. What triggers the bank run, I think in any system, <clears throat> be it Tether or, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that anything is going on with, with DAI, but if they ever experienced something, it would, it would, it would always have something to do with um, investor confidence um, disappearing, right? And then they're like, oh, no, I'd much rather get back what I put in than hold this thing that you gave me, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, so, so if, I guess where should we where should we start? Like, um, I mean, that that article from the con I mean, it wasn't even an announcement by Russia, right? It was more like a discussion, ongoing discussion. Like, there's a couple of people I think in the banking um, facility or whatever in Russia who are who who are saying, hey, you know, since Russia is rich in resources. My Bitcoin mining or crypto mining might actually be a good thing for us, but they just banned it, right? And then the other thing is, you know, we're uh, again huge commodities producer, so why not have a internationally tradable uh, currency that's backed by our by our commodities? Which probably gold would be one of the one of the biggest ones in that basket. Um, but then, of course, when you read it, they also say, "Oh, but the whole thing had to be state controlled, right?" <laughs> So it's um, so it would be like a uh, blockchain technology, but it wouldn't represent any of the any of the things I think that make this technology cool or or new, like a like a revolution, is that it's trustless, decentralized, without these trusted parties. Um, 
And if yeah, they could just use a database, right? To, yeah, to if it's get a state run chain and just do it on a, just build it on Amazon Web Services and come yeah. in and have it audited, you know, like it's the, not... on the Russian version of that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, of course. But like, yes, it's, but... Uh, hmm. yeah, I guess I, yeah, I don't know. So I guess then the, the problem is like, could it be possible to build something that is decentralized, but also backed by something? I mean, you could have a stablecoin, perhaps completely backed by, by Bitcoin. Um, yeah, but then I guess you have the issues with the underlying volatility that Bitcoin still has. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's something like gold doesn't have that volatility, right? It it doesn't I mean, do no ninety percent moves. <laughs> no, of course it's not nearly as volatile, but. In, in times of crisis, there's also there is also volatility in gold, right? Or I mean, silver is I guess more extreme, but like when the 2020 March crash has happened, um, there was also significant volatility in gold. But yeah, yeah. But but yes, yeah, but of course, nowhere near what Bitcoin or Ethereum does for sure. Yeah, and, and when we have this conversation, I think it's also important to keep top of mind that what we're talking about doesn't always have to be absolutes, right? Like we can say Bitcoin on one end and whatever state-run central bank digital currency on the other. And um, maybe, you know, what, what might come to pass will be something that's somewhere in the middle. And the question is, as it goes closer to each extreme, like what are the characteristics of this thing gonna look like? And what are the, you know, consequences of us using something that is decentralized or this decentralized, right? Um, yeah. And, and when we say that uh, it's volatile, we also have to be, be aware that we get a fixed, let's say, relatively fixed salary. We pay a relatively fixed, uh, you know, amount of money every month denominated in our fiat for our rent, our food, etc. Right. And so for us, we're, we're always using that as the yardstick, like subconsciously or sure. consciously. I don't know. But you know, so if 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 you were to argue, you could also argue that hey, during the 2020-2021 time frame, the dollar was super volatile. If you compared it to the price of oil, that went from you know negative 40 to over 100. Or if you compared it to the S and P, right? Yeah. Um, so it's crazy because right now we're like living in a world where actually everything is getting tossed around. And then we're talking about this thing called stable coins, right? Like stability. What what is this thing that we're talking about? Um, does it exist? You know. Well, it is the stability mechanism for, you know, crypto to the U.S. dollar. But then I guess you have this stability mechanism. You could almost have that to everything. You could have a stable coin to oil, right? That, yeah. Like it's always a barrel. That yeah. pegs it to. A barrel or gold but then yeah i guess like but it would always have to be backed right you, so then mm. if you do an oil backed stable coin you would have to have that oil somewhere mm -hmm. yeah if it's i mean if it's backed by something physical you 
you have to then always factor in like what storage costs, delivery costs, security, like you have to defend the thing, right? <clears throat> I mean, that's the kind of the annoyance with the physical assets. Um, keeping them decentralized in like many locations, but still keeping them safe is not necessarily efficient, right? So then having like the Fort Knox uh, scenario, I guess is, is preferred where you just build like some super vault and just put everything valuable in there and just have your military guarded or something like that. But then it's of course the opposite of decentralized. Um, but one thing that I thought was cool um, that Jay had actually told me about many years ago, I think 2018 was um, this company goldmoney.com and they <clears throat> it's a place where you can buy and sell gold and silver with you know you deposit euros or dollars or whatever and you can buy gold and silver and you don't necessarily take physical delivery of it you just keep it in their vaults and they have partnerships all over the world and I don't know how many but more than 50 countries and you could theoretically have your like your balance transfer between these vaults no problem so if I was in Singapore and I wanted to take physical delivery I could for a small fee have my holding transferred there and then I've never tried this but allegedly you could then go and have it <laughs> you know pick it up in Singapore so that, that's so that's pretty cool and so that's what where, where my mind went when I thought like if you had a, a, a token backed by gold you would probably have to partner with a system like that where um, you at least have some sort of decentralized ownership system behind it for physical assets yeah like to, it would be on that on that spectrum that you mentioned right it would be a lot more towards decentralized yeah than a dollar backed stable coin that that has that in one bank account in the united states for sure if it yeah. had that gold in multiple countries right yeah yeah and then because if you can't take possession of i mean that's a huge problem right how can you make it that people can take possession of something physical that's a massive problem to solve in that in that debate centralized versus decentralization but let's assume you can solve it then the benefit is if once i have possession of the physical good then i have many options on how to uh you know sell it use it whatever like in case of gold i could i don't theoretically i could turn it into a ring or some piece of jewelry <clears throat> or i could sell it to many people for something else that I value, <laughs> a gallon of gas, or I don't know, um, a yeah. loaf of bread, something like, or money, or like currency, another currency, or whatever. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's tricky. So how, how does that gold money, have you, have, have you tried it, Jason? Yeah, yeah, I, I have an account with them as well. So it's, it's like how Lovis described it, right? You put, you put fiat in, um, and then you choose to store money in their system, whether that be denominated in platinum, gold, silver, right? And you get to choose which location your metals are vaulted at. Um, and at any point in time, if you did want to for a fee, like what we said, you can take possession of that, that metal in certain standardized forms, right? Mm -hmm. Like a 999 coin or 10 gram bar or whatever, four nines, I mean. But it doesn't trade um, on secondary markets, right? As So it's not really, it's just a tool. It's not a currency in that sense that you could 
you know, it's like but, a, you don't get like a fungible token that we could, the two of us could exchange, and I could go and take the coin that you gave me, and then, uh, no, you know, it's more like they give you a debit card, and you can actually spend mm. your gold and silver in fiat, right? Yeah, and they would just they would just then reduce your holdings. Yeah, and the cool thing is, like, say I've got um, a kilo of gold saved. That's like sixty thousand US dollars. I could fly to London and buy a coffee, swipe my card, and they would they would reduce it with the British pound gold pair, and then reduce that the grams that, that way. And then if I fly mm -hmm. them to New York and then buy a coffee there again, they would do the same thing with the US dollar pair. So it just gives you this yeah liquidity in a very neutral neutral way, I guess. Yeah. And at any point in time, you can take possession. Yeah. But you have to trust that company, right? That's, of course, the, yeah. the thing, right? You have yeah. to trust these guys at Goldman with that. Yeah. So they, so they tried to, they tried to, to um, increase the level of trust by every, you know, I think it was every quarter, every six months, they get, uh, they get these trusted accounting companies to come in and do an audit. To, mm -hmm. you know look at the number of bars there serial numbers do random assay tests stuff like that mm -hmm. so the thing is it's again that scale thing because you know like what lovis said about ford knox the, they're like thousands and thousands of these conspiracy theorists online saying that is the gold even there right like right. they haven't done an audit since 1954 or something like that you know so <laughs> It's like it's 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 pretty pretty cool, right? If you put like a few um, battal like armored battalions guarding this thing, but nobody knows what's inside. Right? <laughs> it's like it's like inviting your girlfriend to your house, right? And you can't actually see the house, but there are like tons of like massive Dobermans just guarding this this fence. So you're trying to impress the girl, and the girl goes, "Whoa, this guy is probably living in this place that's." super duper valuable and actually it's just like a tent in the back Never go in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean um it was a fantastic uh, bond uh james bond movie um probably gold was it goldfinger yeah, yeah the plot was that they were um what they were leveraged long basically gold in the markets and then they were planning on uh detonating a small nuclear warhead near fort knox just so it all gets radiated nobody can touch it anymore so it's actually super smart right because you didn't have to invade you didn't have to actually overwhelm the people right you didn't yeah. you didn't have to even physically destroy the gold as long as it just rate you know if, if there's like lethal doses of radiation then nobody will be able to go get it so you're reducing the um supply you're reducing supply. supply. Yeah. yeah. It's like somebody saying, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll find this way to reduce Bitcoin by 90%. Yeah. <laughs> well, which of course, I mean, so this is just a, this is a plot from a, <laughs> from a James Bond movie from like a long time ago, from the 70s, I think, or 60s. Um, but it shows one problem with, or not, pro it's not a problem per se, but like it shows a vulnerability of this like, backing a digital currency with a physical uh asset right there's yeah. always going to be vulnerabilities you just have to 
I guess you have to see how you can manage them. Yeah, so right now the issue at hand is there are a lot of big economies, right? Significant economies in the world. Let's say we don't talk about it from an individual's perspective first, right? Let's just say you're talking about it from macro level. There are a lot of large economies that produce a lot of goods and services that the world needs that currently do not trust the current financial system for whatever reason, right? They feel like the system can be weaponized and it has been weaponized. So therefore they need an alternative solution. So even though they might not say, hey, we're gonna stop using the Federal Reserve banking system, we're gonna stop using SWIFT, they might like to have something, another layer there as a backup, just in case at some point something, you know. And there was this guy, uh, you know, I always, I, I love following um, Luke Groman, right? Cause he gives this quite like real politics sort of viewpoint on things. And he said, hey, if you go back to the end of World War II till now, nearly every single country on earth has once been considered a bad actor by the United States, right? Whether it's France, England, Singapore, whatever, Japan, right? All these countries are now like strong allies of the, of the West. But at some point in the last 80 years, they were considered to be enemies, right? Or bad actors. So if, if that would happen today, everybody's thinking like, man, can I say no? To, to whatever the US wants me to do, because if I do, I might get, I might get web, like swift, swifted, right? Um, so it's kind of in everyone's interest now to go and say, oh, we need another system. Um, and then, so I think that's why we, 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 we started to think about it because what would this system look like? It has to be something that can be used by any country or individual, um, but at the same time, it needs to be safe. So if you're a, I don't know, a conglomerate that now has a ton of money, cash to be saved, what do you do? Where, where do you put it in, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah so um, this is, uh, fundamentally though, isn't, that is kind of the, the thing that, Bitcoin tries to solve, or I mean, it, it, well, not just Bitcoin, but um, this like smart contract system, for for example, right? So you could conceivably say, okay, countries, new transaction system, don't you don't have to build straight on Bitcoin or whatever. Like that would, of course, like you could, they could buy Bitcoin as a reserve asset. They could buy all kinds of other digital assets to do that. But then fundamentally, the problem that we need to solve is they need to. Uh, stake they need everybody that wants to participate in the system has to have a stake in it right because you need to be able to punish try people who try to cheat in a way so let's assume we want to do that without the need for a massive ass military that goes and polices the whole world um, then i think you know being able to take someone's money for doing something bad that's probably a pretty good stick right pretty good punishment but who decides um, yeah, so some predetermined rules, right, enforced by a smart contract would have to decide. And so, the, or, or there's like a governance vote kind of a thing, right? That, but the problem is always like the, the physical goods, right? Like, yeah. so how, how would you, that, let's say the stake would be gold. So to participate in this new system, you would have to stake gold that could, you know, that could be slashed to use the terms of Ethereum, right? So they mm -hmm. take that away from you if you, uh, yeah, act 
maliciously or whatever. But like then, who who decide, who takes that away, and and how do they take it away, right? If because it, if it's a it evolved in Russia, then yeah. like the the Russian aren't going to let anybody in. Then saying like, okay, here's my here take the gold, right? Yeah, yeah, good point. I'm going to give it to you. So like, how would they do that? Well, we we need like a like a Switzerland that remains neutral and. But then, what um, if the neutral is not neutral anymore, right? That's yeah, of course, exactly. I mean, so then. Because yeah, Switzerland know. didn't stay neutral during this whole um, this yeah, whole yeah. conflict, right? I know for sure they didn't, um, <clears throat> and it would almost have to be like okay, so we give it to a, a small. It doesn't have to be a small country, but we give it to a country that remains neutral, and like everybody pays them uh, security fees. So that means they would have to be. They could like create the most monstrous military defense for themselves. To, to kind of ensure the neutrality. Um, and then if somebody acts badly, like the rules, like it wouldn't even have to be them doing the, the slashing. It, they would just make sure that the smart contract is able to execute without interference in a way. That makes sense. But like, if it's no physical good, really, then if it's a physical good, then smart contracts are like, yeah. You don't right. need them. There's, we might there's be talking about no two. Use. We might be talking about two different things. So, like the smart contracts would be what you use to account, right? But then the actual money itself, right? That thing. And so the question is: Should money itself be able to be weaponized, right? Mm. Should because somebody would say, for example, gold, you can't weaponize it, but you could block it. Right, like, but gold itself is neutral. You you might be able to stop people from transporting it. You might be able to go steal it. Um, you might be able to fake it, right? Put tungsten in there, but it's it, this gold itself can't be weaponized, right? Whereas, like, the U.S. dollar can be weaponized. Um, so I think that there's a, there's that question: Should money be neutral? And the classic idealists. And I think I would stand in that camp, would say, yeah, money should be neutral, but we should find a way to account and police the, the transfer of this money, right? So that it, it you know, bad, bad actions, it, it can't be used to fund bad actions. And, and then the question then comes down to, okay, then who decides what's bad, right? Uh, and I think that's where things get more tricky. Um, yeah and yeah i guess like a, yeah i don't know the staking system doesn't exist in that way but there is the current system that we'd have i say is like there is an international court of law um and that can be used to punish countries and has been used right i mean it's still up to them to accept that and then there's the whole sanctions thing that countries have been using to to punish others um, for behavior so in, in a way the system already exists in a decentralized way right and so this whole sanctions game that they're playing with russia now is isn't that kind of in a way like punishing them for behavior that the others don't want well that's the point right like the the that's the the argument is that it's not truly decentralized because there's only a few parties deciding on who gets sanctioned and who doesn't yeah 
and there's no real means for the disagreeing parties to say no right and well they're not sanctioning right so they're not sanctioning but they have to use the swift system you know so they still get told so like india gets told hey if you want to buy oil i know you you did not decide you did not decide to sanction russia right india didn't decide to sanction russia but america tells them but if you still buy oil from them we might now decide to sanction you because we decide that if you buy oil from russia you're supporting their bad actions you know so in a way only only a few parties hold the keys to say who gets sanctioned and who doesn't and i think that's where the issue lies um but that's a technicality of the swift system i mean if now uh and and i think they've been working on that if they now had like a separate system with which they could directly trade in rupees and rubles um they could do that yeah and 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 exactly and that's my that's my point right like i'm i'm thinking why not just let everyone trade with each other and if you're not happy with a certain party you stop trading with them yeah right right and then that's it if america wants to punish a certain country then america can decide to stop trading with that country stop importing exporting goods right um but right now the issue is not that america's doing that for themselves america's saying hey they're dictating who else should be doing that and yeah. i think that's where it's it's actually very centralized there would be no no big conversation right if basically i don't know like uh, you know hungary hungary comes in and says to the eu hey, i don't agree with this sanction i think this sank because it doesn't serve our purpose our security etc etc so you see the eu is trying to act in a centralized way that all members stand behind a certain decision right and then it, it it's basically very centralized why not just say hey hungary if you want to keep buying oil you go ahead poland if you don't want to you don't right um but they're not allowed to do that of course that the effect will be a lot weaker yeah exactly so then it comes right. back to that that, yeah. that question should money be able to be weaponized right um because you could say hey you don't police the person that's trying to buy drugs you you catch him after he has bought the drugs right but what we're saying now is that hey that person looks suspicious we're, we're going to freeze him from using a banking system yeah well i mean <clears throat> so with physical assets is super tricky right with digital assets it becomes a lot easier to back something and still maintain a level of decentralization i would say um because i mean in a way if you have this proof of stake system you are using digital collateral right to and to kind of make sure that a bunch of people work in a coordinated way without um breaking the rules so this would be like a a swift like swift 2.0 would be um all right if you want to participate in swift then you have to stake um yeah. this percentage of your gdp in bitcoin um yeah, yeah in a smart contract and the smart contract can then with the majority vote of the whole world of or of like all network participants all in this network could be slashed and so then a certain amount would, of that would be taken away for for bad behavior 
Yeah, but and then of course the rules would have to be defined because what makes bad behavior, right? I mean, in the yeah. in a typical staking network, I think the bad behavior is just if you're trying to. I mean, not just, but it's if you're trying to forge transactions, right? You're trying to. If you're not online, like there's also yeah. this uptime thing in Ethereum. Yeah, but it's not for. Oh, you bought cigarettes and we don't want you to have cigarettes <laughs> you know like it's not that level of uh um policing um yeah and it's and the, like me my, i mean my fear is that as soon as honestly any government operates a system like this um they would just not be able to help themselves to police the nature of transactions right that's why i'm like i mean but here we're now talking about the centralized uh um uh, uh, central bank digital currencies right that's a that is a different scenario um where a central bank would issue a digital currency to it to the citizens in their economic zone and then essentially banks as we know them regular banks consumer banks would become irrelevant because every citizen or every business would just have an account directly with the central bank and you know, you, your employer pays your salary or whatever your business income that you have, you gets deposited in your account. And then, but then the difference to today is that every value unit, every unit of digital fiat in your account is, has like essentially a serial number. So it can be digitally tracked. Where did it come from? Where did it go? Who owned it before you? Who are you trying to give it to? And what are you buying, right? And so that's, um, a level of transparency that is completely unprecedented. Um, you know, no, no, no central entity has really ever had that level of visibility into anybody's like spending behavior. So that's why, to me, that's a major red flag, right? I don't really want anybody to know, to know that. I, I totally agree on that, but I think that's like a completely new topic, right? That's like, yeah, a, sorry, yeah, sorry. that would be like for a, for like a government implementing a better version of fiat yes well right so better, for them for like them. A, yeah <laughs> yeah a more transparent way of fiat yeah. um so yes it, it, for sure I'm, and i'm sorry that i drifted into the new topic it's just no, no, somehow, I, think, I think it was good to mention it. <laughs> it it's somehow similar to this whole it somehow belongs to the centralization versus decentralization debate but not but then but not i mean it's in nuances right um but yeah so I mean, original question was, can something that's backed be decentralized, right? Yeah, so I think, I think like on a state level, like if you are a citizen of a country and of course then the country or the government has the weapons so they can decide what the money is. But globally that doesn't work anymore, right? Unless you have a world police that has control over the whole world and can do that, but that that is non-existent. So that system that has to exist for the whole world in some way needs to be backed by something. Um, otherwise, you can't. Yeah, you can't really punish other countries for their behaviors, and you can't establish this trustlessness because yeah, many countries won't trust each other. Yeah. So then I can't. I guess like if if we if we kind of think through that scenario it will become clear or what the what the real problem is like how how do that yeah how you can actually back something um and yeah we discussed that physical backing is really really hard because 
where would you put it? Who would you trust to decide um, and all that? And But even with a digital version of that, with like this Bitcoin-backed SWIFT system that I described, but even that, um, yeah, could could work, but be difficult too, because I mean, yeah, people would need to trust Bitcoin, right? Or a system like that. And it's not 5,000 years old. It doesn't have the same history that gold has yeah. in terms of trust, right? Otherwise, the, 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 the two are quite similar. Yeah, yeah and no. also... Yeah, what, 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 sorry, sorry. What, what actually is the issue with gold? Let's say we've just went back to a, I wouldn't say gold standard, right? Because gold standard implies that you need your currency to be always worth a certain amount of gold, which I don't think any of us are talking about now, like even with Bitcoin, like nobody's saying that Bitcoin always has to be 50,000 or 60,000 or 100,000, right? The thing about Bitcoin that everybody kind of like catches everybody's attention is that volatility, that big movement in price. And people look at it as this barometer of trust on the normal fiat conventional system, right? So as Bitcoin goes up in price, people start thinking, oh, oh my God, Bitcoin's gonna eat the world, right? So nobody's saying, hey, let's keep Bitcoin at a certain price level. But every time gold's been used as money, and used on an international level, right? Nearly every instance it's been backed. And, and that's why it's always failed, you know? Like currencies has, have always used gold as a backing and they make a promise to the people saying, hey, one ounce of gold is $42, it's 35 lira, it's 12 pounds, right? And then when they can't keep that peg anymore, then there's a run on the bank and then problems occur. But yeah. what happens if gold was always this floating thing, floating neutral reserve asset, where, you know, at the end of the year, Germany goes to France and says, hey, I bought a ton of electricity from you. You bought a uh, 5 million Mercedes Benzes from me. So actually there's this differential. I'd like to settle that in gold. We can settle that at this price, right? And then three years later, the same thing happens, but the gold price has gone up 3x or 10x. Then they'll go, okay, I don't want to settle in gold, but this time you only need to give me 10% of what you gave me three years ago. And in that case, it would be somewhat of a decentralized system because everybody would be holding their gold if they choose to. And it would be these multiple, you know, different relationships between different nodes where they just transact at the end of the year or every quarter and they settle their differences in this neutral asset that nobody can weaponize, right? Um, and then maybe one day when Bitcoin becomes more trusted and has been a, around a bit longer, maybe Bitcoin would then be used because, you know, instead of sending your, your, your armored trucks across to the border to collect that gold, that could be, you know, could could get ambushed on the way. You could just get on a keyboard and go click, 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 and then you get your Bitcoin. And then you, and then states can solve their their or settle their differences that way, right? But at the end of the day, everybody's looking for something that would hold value going into the future that everyone accepts, right? So yeah. 
backing or not, it's more, I think the, 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 the aspect that is even more important than the backing is the neutrality of it. The neutrality and the timelessness aspect, right? Has to be neutral and has to and has to be durable in value going forward. It could it could go up, it could go down, but it has to always be worth something. It can't be a, it can't do a lunar, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess like the yeah the worth something of course comes from perception of the different parties trading it, right? So yeah, and with gold, that's almost like a standard, right? Everybody perceives it as valuable, more or less. Yeah, and I would say with the, with the, with the current system where people are supposed to settle in bonds, right? In US government bonds, Japanese bonds, European bonds, it could have worked, right? Because in a way it's backed by the, by the productivity the yeah. of, the, of the people, right? And, it, and as long as these economies produce stuff and they have populations that can have energy to, to, to produce things going in the future, it is a durable call on value. The problem was that it wasn't neutral, it wasn't trustless. So government started to issue more and more of these things. And the, the, the problem became the surplus countries go, hey, hang on a minute. I don't think it's a durable call on value anymore because there are now more bonds than productivity. And so it's not worthwhile for me to be saving in these things because when the time comes and I need to cash in, there'll be nothing left to cash in on. Yeah. And I think that's where the, the, the issue lied, right? In this well, case. But, but, I mean, but, 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 add, to, but, but, add to it the inflation of the, the, the nominal currency that's denominated in, right? So then if you increase your currency supply, to produce eight percent annual inflation, then that then that compounds the problem, no? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's the the currency that you're gonna get paid back in is going down, and yeah. the amount of treasuries that are being issued is going up. Yeah. Right. The, the the population of the United States didn't go up forty percent in the last two years. The productivity didn't go up forty percent, but the bond issuance did. Right. Hmm. But then in a like let's say you wouldn't have that reserve currency status, um, then countries could just go like, okay, they don't seem to be um, very trustworthy because they're printing more money, or they're they're not producing enough as they as they claim to be doing. So I just won't hold any more of these bonds. I'll go into other stuff. Yep. But because of the reserve currency system, everybody's doing that. So if the if it was more decentralized, I guess that wouldn't even be the problem, right? Because then you would spot somebody would see like, okay, their debt to GDP ratio is really high. Um, that's not a good bond to hold. Perhaps, right? I'll I'll get more into something else. I'll I'll I diversify into a different currency, yeah, or into a different bonds. And then then th that way, like the demand for U.S. government debt would reduce, and for another country's debt it would increase and that signal would go to the u.s and hopefully then trigger a change right yeah and and that's it never what, happened I, it never happened but i feel like it's happening now right because if you look at the bonds of all the g7 countries they're all cratering so people are dumping them right yeah uh if you look at the or and then some countries go hey i don't want 
my bonds to be dumped. Like I don't want the interest rates to go up. So I'm going to print money to, to keep buying these bonds to keep the interest rates low, right? So instead of uh, Germany buying Japanese government bonds, now it's the Bank of Japan buying Japanese government bonds, right? So it's this very corrupt, yeah, I don't know maybe cross too strong a word but it's like it's it's what what does that system even mean right like you've got one institution in the in the state printing yeah. money to lend it debt. to another yeah exactly yeah. right and we've all seen read that story before right like it's happened in Weimar it's happened it happens everywhere in yeah. in history so in J Japan's case they didn't so I, I don't know if you guys know but most of the bigger nations, their debts, their, their interest rates have been going up recently, right? But Japan's one has stayed at 0.25%. And the Japanese bank, the Bank of Japan has been defending that, that peg of that interest rate very, very aggressively. So like what Flo said, so people go, hey, it's a free market. I, I see what you're doing. You're printing so much Japanese yen to keep your interest rates low. So what's happened? Um, you know, the Japanese yen has like freaking gone very, very poorly, right, this year. Uh, I think it's gone for, now it's worth something like 135 yen to, to one US dollar. And just start of 2021, it was 100, right? So you've got this massive move in these two, these really, really big economies, right? And the exchange rates just move such a great extent. And you can't make long-term business decisions when the, underlying currency moves that way. Um, yeah. So and, like the, you go. Sorry, I just want to say the funny thing that nobody's really talking about is that countries like um, China, their government bonds haven't been doing too badly, right? And that's very surprising for a country that isn't, uh, isn't energy sufficient. They also need to import energy, right? But even with, the increase in the in the energy prices, their bond yields just keep going down, you know. And um, so, for Even example, uh, 2017, 2018, um, they were at like 4%, and now they're 2.8%. Yeah. But that's because they're producing stuff? <clears throat> That could be because they're producing stuff. It could be because there's a bid for their bonds. So people that are looking to store money in something that's durable go and think, hey, there's a higher likelihood that I will get my money back if I buy Chinese government bonds rather than buying Italian, Australian, British, German, yeah. Swiss. Yeah, Japanese because that's what we said in the beginning, bonds. right? It's backed by the what the economy is producing, right? Sorry. So and if the economy is producing a lot, then... You, you can say, well, yeah. It seems oh, it's relative. Looking. It's backed by the, what the, the country's producing and multiplied by that, you know, the, the supply issue, how many bonds are being produced, right? Yeah. Like yeah. how many bonds are being created? Well, and then fundamentally, I mean, the uh, Chinese system being what it is, I'm no expert, but <clears throat> I'm also not necessarily a fan, but neither am I of really any government. <clears throat> but what? Chinese system, Chinese system does have a uh, just by the way it's set up, and I don't want to even label it anything. It does tend to favor more long-term stability decision making, right? 
it's like the way they yeah. go about it they always make these like five-year plans and from what i've heard typically execute pretty well on them so you know like if if china decides hey we're going to go 100 renewable energy not saying that they are doing that but if they would i would have more trust that they will actually execute on that in the time frame given than i would in the us because with while you know while i'm a huge fan of the free market system it is much more unpredictable what the outcomes are going to be right so if i have to park my money somewhere and the number one guy on the block right now seems to have some credit issues and maybe going to go to number two and then if it temp at least at the moment looks like the, there's stability features built in then for now that's probably good enough right um, although i think long term um that might also change right i think chinese bonds might also not do so well when we look at them again in 10 or 20 years but right now in this in this intense phase of transition there might be a good a good bet yeah in relative terms relatively yeah, yeah. Because, you know, the, I, I think also the, the, the form of government, they're not, because they're not needing to get elected, or, you know, with a very short two-year, four-year cycle, they don't have to market as much. They're able to allow their populations to see the results of their, use the results of their work to ask the population to say, can you please continue to trust us and don't revolt, right? Whereas with the democratic system, it's more like, hey, I'm going to do a better job than the other guy, so vote me, and I'll promise, and I promise I'll do a better job because I promise to give you A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? It's more like, a, I think the democratic system is a lot more future, like asking the population to look at the future, whereas the, the non-democratic systems are a lot more like uh, hey look how long we've kept you stable for look how long we've kept you fed and warm and your lives improving for so keep trusting us right um, and it's actually dangerous for i think these communists or authoritarian regimes to make promises that they can't keep because then the people lose trust in them whereas in a democratic system it's like hey who cares if they lose trust in me? I just need to get elected right now. And yeah, I might be running for party A, but it's okay because even if I screw up in 10 years time, party A will have a different leader. So it's like the blame will be pinned on that person rather than on the party. Because yeah. come on, if you look at Australia or any, you look at America, it's the same parties, right? It's always, no matter what has happened, it's the same parties. Yeah. Right. And nobody rarely, if ever, do these leaders go to jail or get if yeah. they make a mistake. Right. There's no accountability in certain ways. Whereas in non-democratic uh, authoritarian regimes, right, the moment they lose trust, it means systematic change and a lot of accountability happens very quickly. Right. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, but so fundamentally for just trying to reel it back a little bit to the centralization versus decentralization debate. Um, oh, yeah. So I actually read it. So I Googled that earlier, right, in preparation for the episode. And I came across an interesting paper from McKinsey uh, oh, Consulting Company. Uh, where did mm -hmm. I put it? 
it was just it was like a very simple three question uh, metric on how to make decisions within your company if you should decentralize or centralize something um, interesting and, yeah and it uh let me i mean i hope i can find it i had it open here where is it? here it is um the three questions are and th this is definitely interesting for our uh, whole like dao building uh exercise that we're doing right now in tokenomics style um so a decision to centralize let me share my screen really quick so you guys can see what i'm seeing oh, yeah I've opened it. um a decision to centralize requires a yes to at least one of these three questions um, so this is based allegedly on uh, McKinsey holding interviews with 50 big companies and key decision makers. And this is kind of mixed in with their experience being consultants and stuff like that. So is there a mandate, right? Do external stakeholders or laws require centralization, right? So that could be, for example, if there's a regulatory thing uh, for compliance reasons. Um, the example they give is... Um, uh, what do you call it like at the end of the year you know you do your tax accounting for example like this is a statement that needs to be signed by the ceo like you cannot you cannot delegate that to some other manager in the company um so this this, this would be an example of a mandated centralization um does it add significant value so if if bringing two or more things together into one place so like centralizing something will that affect your bottom line potentially by 10 percent or more positively um and if yes then mckinsey thinks you should centralize that because money um and then what are the risks um does it avoid risks of bureaucracy business rigidity reduce motivation or distraction so many times when we centralize things people get uh, people are disappointed because you take power away from them right so in a decentralized system there's way more there's more people wearing hats of responsibility to for decision making in the centralized system there's fewer of them but they have more power um, so in the context of a business you know there was an example given of like a company having two different product management units and if they should put them together to make more and better integrated products so rather than doing two things like one product has feature a and one product has feature b maybe we could build products that have feature a and b <laughs> you know but then, of course, you have fewer product managers. They might get disgruntled. Blah blah blah. So anyway, I thought this was interesting. This is also this is definitely a tangent off of this, um, but I think it's an interesting thing to consider when making or when having a debate of centralization versus decentralization. Um, although clearly, what we're having today is that plus can it be backed by physical assets and or um, it and could or also be like by digital assets, but then. You get the same problem, right? Of, um, yeah. How do you how do you manage that? Yeah, yeah. Well, you do always get the same problem with with digital asset backing, but it's a little easier in the sense that um, the system is self-contained in one medium. So it's all if it's all digital, then you can have digital ways of enforcing rules if it's digital and physical then you need physical ways to enforce the rules right and that's where we're then talking about police or met or military or or at least fences and vaults and stuff like that yeah. so that is um that's like the added 
complexity. Mm. I think it's a fascinating debate. I don't know. I just wanted to show this as a like an additional like kind of brain teaser. Yeah, we'll link it. Yeah, for sure. We'll link it the notes, and then, as coincidence has it, one of our contributors is working on the proof of work um, article, and um, just submitted. Um, I have read half of it so far, but it's uh, on MakerDAO. So it's a MakerDAO is the issuer of Dai, which is a stable coin that wants to be decentralized and is um, heavily collateralized. So that means um, it's a, typically they go for 200% collateralization. That means if you want to issue 10,000 Dai, you need to put up $20,000 in uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum or some other digital asset. So it's kind of like the diametrically opposite thing of what um, Terra and Luna was trying to be. Um, so it's like strongly over collateralized. And of course, and the MakerDAO as the issuer of this has control mechanisms to keep DAI pegged to the US dollar. Um, and one interesting thing, and I, it's, it's tough for me to bring it up because I'm not sure that I fully understand it yet, but I think that they're doing something to stabilize the peg, which is more akin to uh, yield curve control than um, than trying to say, oh, you know, we 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 manage the peg via the redemptions, right? Because that that's what Luna was trying to do, is saying, oh, one UST is always worth one US dollar equivalent in Luna, which then of course, as we now know, turned into a vulnerability, death spiral, and so forth. And I think um, MakerDAO does not try to influence it that way directly, but rather they make it more or less expensive to make loans in DAI. So they're trying to, ma to manage the, the, the interest cost of taking these loans or on the other side, the, um, the incentive of... Uh, but, like, I mean, that, but that would also influ influence um, demand, right? Yes, exactly. But so, so they're trying to steer demand that way rather than yeah um, which is it's a little bit more indirect but i think it's uh, right now my thinking is it's clever because it's it is less direct so it's less aggressive but it also makes it maybe more stable i don't know yeah yeah and i think but, i think it's great i mean it's from a decentralization perspective it's certainly better than um what usdc has to offer right because um the us dollar backed stablecoin usdc by by circle essentially is um, yeah, a one-to-one -one dollar backed. I don't know the, the exact details, but they have hopefully a dollar in the bank for every token that they issue, right? And that's how the system works. So you could go and redeem your USDC for that. Um, so yeah, somebody could just go and shut down that bank and then perhaps that, that thing wouldn't work anymore. That's not really very decentralized. But then the problem with DAI is I think the collateral that you can post is also in the crypto space, right? So it's essentially you've got this uh, ETH, you've got this stablecoin on the Ethereum network, and you back it with Ethereum. So it's yeah, it's kind of not really an asset um, that performs differently than um, like in, in a crypto bear market where everything goes down. It will be a lot harder to defend 
or to keep that collateral ratio up, right? So lots of people will have to um, get margin calls and have to add more to their collateral to keep it um, to keep it at this two hundred percent level. And so I think in the beginning they had these issues, and now what they've done, I don't know. I, I wrote an article about it long ago, yeah, last year or so, and um, then it was backed. I think we're at least like 50 or 60% by USDC. All right. Yeah. So they, one die is then, well, it got, it's got a lot of USDC in it. So a lot of centralized currency, they add some Ethereum and something else on top, but a lot of it is really a pretty centralized, decentralized stable coin. Yeah. yeah so I, mean, I think that's a, I mean, the other question that I have with it is, so if there's one smart contract, I guess, executing this, right? Like I, where I can deposit my collateral and I can get die out. We consider that decentralized because it's a, there's like no, it's a completely rules-based system, right? It's a smart contract. There's no, there's no credit checks. There's no KYC. So, mm -hmm. I, so I get that and I like that, but fundamentally it still is a single point of failure, no? Because like, if something were to go wrong with that, like wherever I lock my digital assets, it it still is in one place, digitally speaking. <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, if you could trick that smart contract to somehow give you the locked collateral or use it in a way, then yeah, I mean, that's a big honeypot you could, you could get to. But at least it has that transparency, right? And that's what it makes it interesting because you can go to Etherscan, you can look at the smart contract, you can have a look at it yourself um, if you can understand code. And yeah. even if you even if you don't, if you can't yourself, there'll be plenty of people who know how to and who've done that and who have looked at it. And I think that's the beauty of it, right? So, and that's also the, the problem, I guess, with entities like Tether, which is another US dollar-backed stablecoin who... Yeah, haven't or, or haven't been very transparent about their holdings, right? So they don't hold um, physical U.S. dollars or like U.S. dollars in a bank account one to one, but they also have other similar financial instruments that they hold um, that are not as liquid or whatever. And it's it's all good, right? If they were transparent about it, and if people could see, or if I buy one tether, then I know that this isn't really a hundred percent one us dollar but it's also uh yeah it, it may be only 40 percent us ours it's like other dollar denominated assets that they hold um that might be more risky than the us dollar dollar might also be volatile um all those things right and if 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 that's all transparent i think that's pretty good then people can know what they get into they know that it might be risky um but they know if you're not transparent, then I guess that's always an issue. Yeah, so I guess the, the, the trust, right? It comes back to trust and it comes back to uh, confidence of the players, let's say. So fundamentally for a 
system to work, we we need to trust it, and to for it to be trustable, we would need to ideally have transparency, right? And so I think that's the the main uh, issue we're running into right now with the like legacy financial system. Let's say um, key players have become less and less trustworthy, and there hasn't been transparency really. I mean, not really ever. <laughs> So it's some, yeah. it seems like that's just uh, yeah it's tilting the the confidence of many important players and hence looking for alternatives right. Um, but then so just from this like short news article that triggered this discussion today, what what Russia was just thinking about doesn't see, doesn't seem like a good alternative to me in the sense that if it's a state-run chain, then then you know. Like we said before, just put in a database because nobody's going to trust that anyway. In the first, like not you know, not any one entity, right? Like if yeah. it's if it's uh, 192 countries and everybody has an equal vote, you know, maybe, right? But um, and then the other I thing the is, thing, of course, yeah, the thing ahead. would be if they allow for the 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 gold to be, you know, you could come up with a, a stable coin backed by gold. The question is. Nobody, I guess, nobody would trust the system if the gold was all held in Russia, right? Right. But if there was this system that says, okay, you know, certain countries that make up, I don't know, three, four billion people, you know, the global population, um, they all store gold in their own countries. Um, and the, these countries are then able to settle trade with each other. Then I think it'd be different. You know, okay. so it's it's not it's not like everyone loves each other and super trusts each other, but the fact that some of them could have say skin in the game by holding on to that gold and settling it, right, would would give it more trust, I would say. Yeah. So you would just and, use that token as a unit of account, really. Real yeah, exactly. And it'd be like, I don't know, say every country starts off with roughly two thousand tons, right? That they stake into this new system and you'd you'd be thinking that on a whole you know yearly you'd have maybe 50 tons you know back and forth that you use to settle if any country goes like straight away in year one down by 1500 tons then i guess you know the the system would go and think hey is this person's economics even you know i don't know if i want to keep selling him my my cars because come time to settle he might not have enough unless he wants to stake more you know um yeah hey do you can i just share my screen quickly um just since we we're talking about it i don't this, mind thanks man does this uh how do i share this uh when i hmm i don't know I'll try. Tell me what you guys see. Just push some buttons, you'll, you'll get there. Uh, doesn't let me share it. Maybe I'll send you guys a link. You can you can open it. Mm, First time. But it it's pretty. The Mac. It's, yeah. It's pretty, pretty. I sent it on Signal. Oh, it's pretty timely because 
it's basically whatever we're talking about, right? So when we decided on the topic, that, that news article that we referenced came out in January before the invasion started. And this is just from, I think, two, two three days ago. Oh, so it reads, Russia and China are brewing up a challenge to dollar dominance by creating a new reserve, reserve currency. Mm -hmm. So did you read through it? How would it look like? Yeah, so I guess because they, they, um, they don't want to give out all the details now, right? But the funny thing is they said that it'd be... Uh, something that you know the whole world can use as an alternative and really nearly instantly yesterday right the g7 are meeting and the g7 says yeah we won't allow um russia to sell any gold like we we, we want to cap russia's ability to sell the gold that they produce right and i did the numbers on it and the gold that russia produces on a yearly basis based on today's dollar value is like $18 billion, right? Which is, which is basically the amount of money that the Federal Reserve increases its balance sheet by on like, not even on a weekly basis, like they do that by Wednesday. <laughs> so I don't really understand why the G7 would be making such a big deal right now about telling the whole world that we're not gonna let Russia sell their gold anymore if the amount of gold they're selling is so little right um but if you listen to the speeches given by these guys even you know people from china or russia over the years they have been saying that there should be a currency where it's a lot more neutral and settlements can be done in neutral assets such as gold right so it's just interesting that this chatter has been on the airwaves, right? Oh, gold back, stable coin, et cetera, et cetera. And now with all the sanctions happening, these BRICS countries start saying, hey, yeah, maybe we'll come up with an alternative reserve currency. Uh, yeah, so in a way it would be not truly decentralized, not by a long shot, but it would be more decentralized than what we have now. And even if you had two different systems, two different layers running in parallel, in a way, that's also a form of decentralization. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if there's a way to settle between those. Yeah. Different yeah. layers, right? Build a Integration of sorts. <laughs> wormholes, wormholes. Wormholes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, but so, I mean, it's so funny. I think that everybody's like, again, not everybody, but like world governments like dancing around this thing. Because they're like, maybe Jay, you know what the lessons are behind it better than I do. But I'm like, it's it appears to me that the input function of making a country prosperous is always related to energy, right? Yeah. Um, and then what you do with the energy matters a lot, right? So if you're very productive, uh, so Germany still produces a lot of stuff. China produces a lot of stuff. Like countries that produce a lot of stuff typically are pr prosperous right because they convert energy into goods and then you can trade these goods and so forth um russia is a massive uh, commodity uh, powerhouse right the united states is too on many levels like lots of very rich in resources 
But so I'm like, if we know that energy is life and prosperity, why don't we just have like, why isn't there a stronger link of our currency to energy? Um, and so then when I think about that, and then when I look at what Bitcoin is, right? Bitcoin network literally is secured by putting in electricity which then performs a function. So it's, it's like the first thing that we've created that, that humanity has created, first technology that converts power into something directly without having to go the route of, you know, cutting down a tree, making it into a house, you know, building a house from it or something like that. Like it's a, it's a direct link. It's not uh, have to buy the goods then take them to the factory and then sell the, the new, you know, the value added goods. It's a, much more well, gold route. would be similar right i mean gold also requires a ton of energy to extract mm -hmm. it and yeah. then you don't do yeah, anything gold. with it other right. than so like, bragging yeah, mining mining metals i guess is the very the closest thing to it right well go yeah gold specifically i mean iron ore you can do a lot of stuff with it right you can build stuff because it's really hard but gold is is kind of this soft metal that you can't use for a lot of things right in a way, what makes gold what makes gold useful is that it's almost useless, right? Yes, and therefore, yeah. that's why it's 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 neutral, even in from the physical perspective, right? right. It's uh, yeah, but yeah, the the that's why I think Bitcoin and gold both um, really are very suitable for for fulfilling this function. You know, you could the the good one thing about gold that is an advantage. It's got a ton of disadvantages compared to Bitcoin, right? It's not as easily transferable. When you want to bring it across borders, it's not, you, you know, you can't do it the same way. It's not so instantaneous, the transactions. You don't, you know, you need to assay the gold to make sure that it's legit. But one thing that gold has over Bitcoin is that it's it's money now. Like you don't need a, 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 a mining network going into the future. You don't need energy tomorrow to have your gold be valuable today, right? And that's the, the only thing I think that gold has over Bitcoin. But again, I don't even- And the I, history. I don't really and the history, yeah. And yeah, global acceptance, right? And I don't subscribe to this thing where people go, it has to be gold or it has to be Bitcoin. Like I like both and I don't see why, um, yeah. Why it, it, it basically it's it's to me the the framing of the question should be why not fiat right <laughs> like what else is better than fiat it shouldn't right. be what's the best you know and then it becomes this big mud slinging contest about oh gold's this oh bitcoin's that um I I'm not sure if it's true but I read that uh, fighter fighter jet pilots right when the when the on their missions they usually have a stash of gold coins and dollar bills in case they need to eject and they're on enemy territory they can use that to try and find a way to get get out of the danger zone <laughs> see like in that case I don't know if bitcoin would be as good right <laughs> or maybe it would be I don't know <laughs> I don't know you but first have to buy is, a SIM card to transfer, transfer yeah. some of the, your Bitcoins, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I just find it very, very interesting that for so long, um, these, these countries, right, the BRICS countries, they've all been buying gold like crazy. So if you looked at their central banks, um, balance sheets and the reserves that they hold, gold has always been 
something that they've been accumulating since the 2008 crash. And many people say that, hey, 2008 was when they realized that this banking system is not really neutral because whenever every other developing country, even, even Britain, right, even, even countries like Britain who that went through recessions, they had to swallow the bitter pill, reform their countries, go through like severe recessions, austerity, whatever, so that they could continue to um, continue to, to take part in this global financial network, right? But then when the US faced the same thing in 2008, suddenly the rules changed, right? Suddenly it was like, oh, it's all right. We'll just increase our, our, our reserves and just bail everyone out. And they didn't have to follow the same tough austerity measures that nearly every other country had to go through, right? So I think that was an eye-opening moment for a lot of these other big nations. And they went like, hey, we trusted the US to be the to be this arbiter, right, of fairness. And maybe we can't trust them as much as we would like to. And uh, and since then, a lot of countries have been increasing their their gold reserves in terms of tons or, or, or ounces. Um, so I find that quite interesting now because if these countries, I don't think Russia, India, China, I don't think they really, really trust each other, but they're just united by the fact that they're under threat. I mean, China and India, just last year, they were in the news, right, about having border skirmishes. and each even, other, yeah. Yeah. So why are they coming together now to create this alternative reserve asset, right? Yeah, but it's, I mean, on some level, it's uh, maybe like... Um, parents that are getting a divorce they still want the best what's best for their children kind of thing you know <laughs> like yeah we might be fighting but we can agree on this right it's like a fundamental thing maybe, well they, they yeah, also exactly. need each other still for for trade right and they know that yeah, yeah like i exactly. mean where's china going to sell their stuff to their, their economy is not going to work if they're just oh, yeah. going to sell it to themselves yeah uh, yeah, yeah. And, I'm sure, and i'm sure there's the opposite equal effect as well right the, um, yeah, super interesting. And the problem with the West right now is that if you take them as a whole, as a block, that's like 750 to 800 million people that don't have enough energy. So yeah. I feel like it's like what you said just now that energy was live, right? <laughs> what happens, man, with this 750 million people when they decide to just cut all their energy inputs off? Yeah, I mean, that's a whole whole other podcast but if, you know there's a there's a centralization decentralization move needing to happen there too but it's it's um i think in a big big reason why we're not a lot further with renewable energy which fundamentally is more decentralized is because i think we've been trying to maintain centralization of power like literally like energy not power but energy supply while at the same time trying to go more renewable and it doesn't, it doesn't know how it works, right? Like that's like saying like, yeah, we're going to be decentralized. We're going to use Bitcoin, but everybody's just, but we're just going to hoard them all in one place now, all in one wallet. And it's like, yeah, but, eh. you know, like you're trying to, you're trying to use a technology for something that's not meant to be. And that's why I think it's so hard to get it done. Um, yeah. And if, if everyone becomes self-sufficient in energy through renewable energy, nuclear, whatever, right, then you have less need to trade yes. and if you have less need to trade 
inflows and outflows, then the person controlling those channels loses influence, right? That party that controls the flow of money loses influence. So whoever is having that influence right now probably isn't very happy. If everyone suddenly goes and puts solar panels on their roof, buys a small modular nuclear reactor, whatever, right? And says, yeah, I don't ever need to import oil again. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's fascinating, yeah. I think. I mean, I think a fun, it's a fundamental struggle almost, right? This uh, at the root. Yeah. And um, it's interesting that you have countries like Saudi Arabia saying that they want to join the BRICS. Why would they be doing that? You know, mm. or Argentina saying that Argentina is like a massive, massive food exporter. Why would they suddenly want to join the BRICS? And it, it, it's weird that usually it's it's countries that have surpluses that want to store that surplus in something durable that they're going, hey, I uh, wouldn't mind another option yeah. here, right? Yeah, and then they probably, yeah, exactly. Have an alternative system, right? Like what's really, what's the big deal? There should be choice, right? To store that. But it, it it is a big deal to the person that runs that current monopoly because it's, it's an, ex an existential threat to them, right? Yes, of course, because all the incentives have been aligned in their favor for so long. Yeah. Um, but that also is... I mean, I'm willing to say that that's also what's why why there's decline right in the West or in the U.S. specifically, because as much as they're, that's I don't know how to say it, but it's like yeah, they they have created the leash that's holding the tiger in a way, you know, but like, and it's been benefiting them right because everybody's like buying tickets to come see them holding this tiger, but then at the end of the day it's still effing tiger and it can just eat you right so like it's a it's a it's maybe more power than any one per nation is supposed to have you know so that's it might be the so-called source of their uh of their rise but then also their fall like it makes po poetically it makes perfect sense to me yeah there's this thing called dutch disease where they talked about the economy of holland right like econ the economy of holland was very um diversified Mm -hmm. uh, and going into, I don't know, the 60s, 70s, and then they discovered like huge, huge, huge reserves of natural gas just off the coast, right? And so Holland became this massive gas exporter. And so then the country became very reliant on just this one export. So the rest of the economy just basically had to give way to anything that was gas related, you know? Um, and so the, the, the problem was that once, once that thing becomes your main export and you're not properly diversified, what happens when then that export starts to dwindle, right? And the, the rest of your economy is now no longer as vibrant and as uh, diversified anymore. Like roads, you know, just simple things, roads, trains, whatever, these networks, they get thought about more in terms of, okay, how do we get big trucks or how do we get whatever heavy machinery we need to get from this point to that point, because we need to support the gas industry. Um, and, and it's a bit of a tangent, but you're talking about that tiger, right? For a lot of the West, I think that tiger has been the export of bonds. Like 
U.S. Treasuries, right? Like just flooding the world with U.S. Treasuries and whatever um, the country does, it's kind of directly or indirectly in support of that of that process to make sure the whole world keeps using this system so that we can keep, you know, yeah, the incentives are all aligned to this one thing. How do we how do we export more and more of these treasuries? And the issue right now is that the rest of the world's surpluses are not that it's not enough to pay for the deficit of these few countries. So it's not even a, a, a matter of choice anymore. Like in the past, it would be like somebody getting on a phone, having a tough conversation and saying, hey man, instead of buying this can you buy our bonds? Because we really need you to support the system right now. And somebody could make that decision theoretically, right? Could say, all right, instead of, I don't know, building up my own military or, or reducing taxes or whatever, okay, I'll keep that surplus really high and buy your bonds because we want to support the system. But right now there's not even that conversation because the combined surplus of all the surplus nations are not enough to meet the deficit. So even if they wanted to, they couldn't. Thing, right. I mean, that's that's like kind of so. Thank you for putting into words and backing exactly this picture that I had in my head, right? Like the the tiger, the same, tiger the on a leash, that like led led them to the top is now eating them, right? Like that's exactly kind of the yeah. And I think right now they're they're really kind of scrambling, right? Because to me, in my experience, you can have laws in place, but the market always fulfills a need, right? Mm -hmm. And when there's a need, you can make laws to make something illegal, but when there's a need, that, that need gets met. It's just called the black market, right? And right now, the, the, the powers that be are trying their best to keep a lid on things by making many, many different laws, right? Like you can't trade with this guy, you can't buy that thing, you have to save money here, you have, you know, um, you need to join our military alliance. You need to do this, do that, do this, do that. But at the end of the day, the market will fulfill its need whatever way. If it means it comes forth with something more decentralized, so be it. So I think we're actually viewing the whole system becoming, going, sliding down that scale, becoming more decentralized as we speak, right? It's like it's happening in real time. Yeah. Whether well, it gets like, yeah, all the way. Two swift systems is more than one, right? Yeah, two SWIFT systems. And the second SWIFT system, not one party has the key, right? Everybody else has the key. Everybody else can say, yeah, I'm not exporting my gold to you this year. I'm not trading my cars with you this year, you know? Um, everyone can say, hey, you don't attack China because if you attack China, all of our very elaborate gold trading mechanisms will go down. So in a way, everybody has an incentive to keep everyone alive right because then trading keeps flowing because it's it's decentralized you don't want different nodes to drop right like if yeah, you're a stool with four chairs you really don't want one leg to break and you actually <laughs> want to keep building more and more legs right but the old system it wasn't like that the old system was a tower where everyone was just saying hey keep this tower strong you know build it up taller and taller and taller yeah Got a lot of great um, analogies to this podcast, I must say. I yeah, tigers and towers. You can call it tigers and towers. Tigers and towers, man. Decentralization versus centralization. If you enjoyed this discussion, <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Keep going on this. Today, please reach out to us. Um, you do that the best, easiest way by joining our Discord, um, just subscribing to Substack, uh, following us on YouTube, um, you know, uh, subscribing to the podcast, whatever, all the things. But if you want to talk to us directly, best thing is um, join Discord and just find us. Um, we're on there all the time. Um, some community member reached out to us last week with some really deep thoughts on some of the stuff that we had talked about, which was an incredible experience for all of us because you know we have these discussions with each other they are relevant to us and the stuff that we're thinking about and that we're doing but it is so incredibly cool to hear from people who have listened and who then actually have additional thoughts that are like you know i mean i want to say like even greater than ours <laughs> um and then share them with us that would be so good that would be good definitely get that guy on yeah 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 it's like that is super cool and that's why we're doing this right like we're not doing this just to talk i mean we enjoyed this conversation with each other but we're doing it um for the greater benefit of building our community so yeah so if you know this was uh maybe an indirect link to tokenomics but um i think super relevant discussion to everything that we're uh doing in tokenomics DAO. so yeah reach out connect subscribe and thanks for listening Let's uh, wait, never Thanks. decentralize Lovis's plugging, okay? Before we go, let's just make sure we yeah. never ever do that. Because yeah, I don't think we could be centralized. Yeah. All right, see you guys. This podcast was not financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly educational and is not investment advice or a solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. This video is not tax advice. Talk to your accountant, do your own research. None of this is legal advice. This podcast is strictly educational. Talk to your lawyer.